Good morning, everyone. Depending on where you are, it is, I guess, actually noon for me, but good morning to all my beloveds on the West Coast. I am so, so very excited to be presenting to you today. So truth be told, this presentation, I think, is very different from the programming that we did yesterday. Yesterday was, I think, very like traditional, sort of cerebral presentations, um, really thoughtful like analysis. And even though, as you'll see, there's the little eye icon in the top of the screen, and this is technically categorized as analysis, it that's not exactly right for for what this is. For the most part, what this is going to be is storytelling. I basically have been crafting this story in my head ever since Madison and I really dived deep into Evermore back in January. I've been thinking about the way that the so-called it girls of folklore and Evermore, like who they are, who they would be, how I could see the subjects and the narrators of these songs that mean so much to me, like what their internal landscapes are and, you know, what their day-to-day -day lives would look like outside of these songs of Taylor's, outside of the music of Taylor's. Essentially, like what I wrote here and what this presentation is going to be is kind of fan fiction for lack of a better phrase. I mean, I don't want to think of it as fan fiction because you know that feels very like Tumblr, like a long time ago. But I think for many of you, that's kind of like what it is going to resonate as and maybe like what it technically is. So without further ado, welcome to Tupelo, the honeyed world of Taylor's folklore and evermore. So this is the fantasy. The fantasy is Tupelo is an island off the coast of Georgia. Tupelo is overrun with swamplands and brackish water running throughout from the coast of the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico on the side of Florida running through rivers and streams into the swamps. The island is mostly swamp. The population doubles in the summer when rich folks arrive for the season. Even though it's Georgia, even though it's warm all year round, because it's an island, it is a beach town. It is a vacation spot. One of the only places on island that you can actually go to socialize is the Yacht Club. And the Yacht Club is in full bloom during the summertime. And of course, overrun by all the rich people that only have to live there in the summertime. Like most beachside towns, like most tourist towns, the people that live there all year round are not rich. They're poor. There's not a lot that you can do on the island unless you take the ferry. 
In fact, they only have one little school house on the island because there's not enough kids to like warrant a high school for grades nine through 12. So high schoolers actually have to take the ferry off of island to go to high school on the mainland. And as a result, the kids from Tupelo, the few kids that are on the island of Tupelo feel ostracized, feel alone. It's very hard to live in Tupelo. And yet, Tupelo happens to be home of the sweetest and purest honey in the world. Tupelo honey is gathered for three weeks out of the year, but loved everywhere. It's treasured in every country. It's desired and coveted, and it can only be made on this island for three weeks out of the year. The Tupelo trees grow in the swamps and beekeepers have to take rafts out into the middle of the swamps with their hives and let the bees populate and pollinate the Tupelo trees that grow in brambles around the island. Tupelo, Georgia is pretend, but it's real to me. Our story begins on August 1st. 1989. A little girl is born at the strike of midnight. Her mother was three weeks overdue, but the delivery goes smoothly. It just takes a few hours. Her mother is just a teenager, and typically, first births, especially when you're 17 years old, the birth wasn't complicated. And even though she was pregnant for three weeks longer than she wanted to, she was so relieved, so happy when this little baby came out that she named her August. She was convinced her daughter was just waiting for August. When the mother arrives home from the hospital, Days later, all of her girlfriends from work, fellow waitresses from the diner, celebrate this new baby August with sparklers and an icebox cake. That's something that's amazing about this young mother is that, you know, even though she's poor, even though she lives on the island and she's a waitress, like, her girlfriends, her fellow waitresses, like, they all support her. Like, they fucking love her. They love her little baby girl. Like, things, again, are hard, but they're so fucking worth it. So the 90s. August grows up as warm as the summer sun and as sweet as Tupelo honey. Her mother raises her to be clever, kind, polite, and powerful. August spends her childhood summers running around with a rich girl whose daddy owns the yacht club and the restaurant where her mom sometimes works catering at. This little girl, her name is Dorothea. Dorothea's family owns the biggest house in Tupelo, but it's empty for the nine months out of the year. 
while they live in their other house, a mansion outside of Atlanta. That's those rest of the months because Tupelo is so far away from Atlanta because August's family doesn't have the money to take a bus, take a car. They don't have the money to pay for a car to go on the ferry, to go onto the mainland. They don't get to see each other for nine months out of the year. But in the summer, it's just August and Dorothea. August and Dorothea grew closer every summer. They don't see each other during the school year, but they write postcards to each other and spend hours on the phone each night. For her 16th birthday, Dorothea gives August a kitten named Honey. And in return, August gives Dorothea a kiss. And then a billion more. Suddenly, they both understand why so many have lost their minds and fought wars for this feeling, for love. When Dorothea leaves for the school year, she writes August a letter promising to stay true and love her forever. Before she can send it, her mother intercepts. Her mother's not mad exactly. Her mother would never say that she didn't like gay people. In fact, her mother has a lot of gay friends, but her mother doesn't want a gay daughter. Her mother, her mother wants Dorothea to go to debutante balls. Her mother wants Dorothea to follow in her own footsteps. Her mother's not mad at Dorothea, but when it comes time to go back to Tupelo the next summer, her mother decides that it would be best if Dorothea went to an acting school for the summer up in New York City, far, far away from Tupelo. Three years pass, three summers without Dorothea. August is turning 19 this summer and she's happy selling honey at the tourist traps on the beach. She lives on Tupelo year-round with her mother. She still lives with her mother, who's now not just a waitress at the diner, but one of the highest paid bartenders at Dorothea's daddy's club. Neither August nor her mother know why Dorothea's daddy hired her mother when she was just a run-of-the-mill waitress, when he could have hired any mixologist from the mainland for the summer. August is pretty sure that she has an idea that it's guilt, that he's so guilty for the fact that they took Dorothea away from her. But regardless, the result is, is that now, you know, they have a little bit of money. They aren't struggling all the time. Life feels like slow and not so urgent. And most times they're very grateful for that. It's really nice to just live with a mom that you connect with, that gets you. You know, 
like, is their relationship perfect? No, of course not. But she doesn't want to live anywhere else. She's happy in Tupelo. She's happy living with her mom. August hasn't kissed anyone since Dorothea's last summer on island. She's never wanted to. And then she meets James. James was born on the 1st of December and named for the James Taylor song, Sweet Baby James. When she was born, she had the roundest, sweetest little cheeks. She looked like the spinning image of that song. Even though she was a girl, you know, her parents, it was too perfect. Born on the 1st of December, just as the song says, she had to be named James. James lives on the mainland. In the town, Tupelo kids take the ferry in to go to school. This summer, the summer before her freshman year of college, she's staying at her grandparents' old red cottage in Tupelo while they stay put on the coast of Florida. Summers before this, she would come into Tupelo, stay with her grandparents, go back and forth from the mainland to the island. But this summer, the summer that she's going into college, she wants a taste of independent living. Her grandparents have long retired to one of their other houses on the coast of Florida. And James, being the smart, bright, capable girl that she is, her grandparents say, of course, stay in our cottage. This cottage happens to be right next to where Betty lives, full year. James is best friends with Betty, a rising senior at their school and one of the 23 students who take the ferry in from Tupelo. August had never met James before that summer, but James had known August for as long as she can remember. August, everyone knew August. A year ahead of James and two years ahead of Betty, but everyone knew her. She was the wild girl, the flower child, the slut, the dyke, the druggie, the one living in poverty on a shack in Tupelo, and not even a cute one on the beach, but in a trailer near the swamps. James had watched her from afar, heard the rumors from Inez and the rest of the girls, and it thrilled her. Her pulse felt jagged, addicting, and forbidden. She saw a freedom in August that she didn't know in anyone else, and she wanted that for herself. This is the thing when you know a girl, but you don't actually know her. All that James really knew was that people did not like August, and August did not care. That in of itself was enough to have James' heart racing whenever she saw her. The idea that someone could be so free from all of the judgment that her classmates put upon her, James, that freedom that she saw in August, she wanted it for herself so deeply and she had no idea how to get it. Betty knew August too. 
in fact, a lot better than James did. Whereas James observed August from a safe distance from the mainland, Betty lived on Tupelo with August year-round. And she was there when the office lady wouldn't let August get on the ferry because of what her shirt said. Something political, something dirty, something queer. Betty doesn't actually remember what the shirt said, or she's not even sure that she saw it. Maybe she was just, maybe she saw the back of the office lady as she was yelling at August on the docks, not allowing August to actually get onto the ferry saying you can't wear that at school i'm not letting you get on this boat unless you go back and change the first day of betty's freshman year the first day betty didn't know this of course betty didn't know the context but that day that was the first day that august was starting school after her summer of bliss with dorothea August felt so empowered, so validated. She walked into school that day wearing a shirt that was bad, was dirty, was queer. And when the boat left without her, August was standing on the dock, angry, red, and indignant. And Betty will never forget that face. August was poor like Betty, but she didn't try to cover it the same way that Betty did. August was always late for school, always ended up taking the second ferry that missed first period. August was weird, and she smelled like smoke and earth and peat moss, a result of living near the swamps and burning fires and smoking cigarettes or God knows what else. Betty distanced herself from August as much as she could, being one of the only kids that took the ferry. August scared Betty. And Betty, not only was she not really sure why, but Betty didn't want to know why. Betty didn't want to think about what it was about August that scared her until she had to think about why August scared her. James and Betty were best friends. Betty lives right next to James' grandparents. And as kids, as James would come in from the boat and spend time there, they would spend all summer together, creating stories together, creating fantastic daydreams and play scenarios, and plan their escapes to different islands real islands, whatever that meant. Islands like the Caribbean, islands like Hawaii, islands where the sand was white and the water was blue, the kinds from picture books and movies. Betty knew that in high school, when she was going to be able to take the ferry to the mainland school, she knew that her and James would get to spend the year together the way that they spent summers, and she could not wait to get to high school. They had a great time in high school. You know, like, the thing about Betty is that she's really smart. 
So even though she was a year younger than James, she was one of the only kids in Tupelo from Tupelo that was in the AP classes. So she was taking APs, being on the honor roll, being able to hang out with James pretty much the entire time. She was really good at pretending that she wasn't poor, knowing that she, like all the mainland kids knew that her house was next to James' grandparents' house. And they knew that James' grandparents were rich. So it was very easy You know, if they didn't come over too often, if they didn't spend too much time in the house, it was very easy for Betty to convince her friends that, you know, she wasn't poor like August. She wasn't weird like the rest of the Tupelo kids. She was in the popular friend group with James. She had a great high school experience. That was until things changed when James became a senior. For the first time, James felt like All of those dreams they had made, that deep desire to leave Georgia, to get out of there, that was finally becoming a possibility. A real possibility that James could taste the closer she got to graduation. Betty, being a junior, was so much further from that possibility. And as the weeks passed of James' senior year, Betty felt like she could feel her best friend slipping away. Everything came to a head with the senior dinner dance. The senior dinner dance is a tradition at the high school that they all went to, the high school in the mainland. Ironically, every summer, late spring, right before graduation, The seniors would all get together at the Tupelo Yacht Club. They'd take the ferry, decorated with fairy lights and congratulation banners. They would take the ferry across the water to the Tupelo Yacht Club, and they would spend all night dancing, sneaking nips out of their bras and stockings, getting drunk, looking out at the water, dancing. It was Tupelo tradition. It was the mainland tradition. When the senior dinner dance came around, James and Betty's friend group didn't want any of their junior girls to be left out. So they made a plan. They would get senior boys to take them. Junior sophomore girls were allowed to go to the senior dinner dance if they were the date of a senior boy. At first, the plan felt fun like a con, or like they were some sort of femme fatale seduction to trick the boys into letting the girls have their night together. The boys were always a second thought, always a means to the end to get their friend group to all hang out. But August happened to have picked up a shift at the yacht club the senior dinner dance was a big event. It was technically preseason. The yacht club wasn't fully opened yet, but it was an all hands on deck scenario. August's mother, who was a bartender, obviously no alcohol would be being served, said, August, if you want to pick up some tips, you should come be a server at the yacht club. August didn't love her high school, but she did love getting tips. So she became a server at the Yacht Club that night. The thrill of hunting prey buzzed between the high school girls. 
Inez couldn't risk letting August, always intimidating, two years her senior, Inez could not risk letting August steal her spotlight. Inez told all the girls to dance with their dates. Suddenly, the boys were no longer a means to an end, but the ends that they must protect at all costs. Hold them close and protect those boys from August. James, a senior who hadn't needed to con her way into being able to attend, sat on the side and watched Betty twirl under the lights. Watching Betty, James felt like hurling. At first, it really felt like a joke. Watching Betty roll her eyes over the boy's shoulder, trying to dance with a boy who could not dance, a boy she hardly knew. But when her date eventually left to go to the bathroom, get some punch, whatever, when he wandered away, a new boy stepped in. A boy who James hated. A boy who made fun of James for her name would call James he to be funny. Tell her to go to the boys' room when they were passing in the hallway. Betty knew how much that boy hurt James. Betty knew that James hated that boy. Betty knew. But still, when he asked her to dance, Betty just shrugged and agreed. I wish I could tell you why Betty did this. I wish I could tell you why Betty didn't recoil in disgust, why Betty didn't say, you know, and go and sit with James. It's very, very hard to be a teenage girl. It's very hard when everyone's watching you, when you have certain expectations. I think that now, if Betty knew everything that was going to happen, she wouldn't have said yes. But at the time, how could she possibly think that rolling her eyes, shrugging and agreeing to this boy who, yes, was a creep. Yes, hurt her friend. But it was just a dance. James had to leave. James couldn't watch it. She felt her heart paying so much. She couldn't do it. So she went out to the docks. And there was August. Wild as ever. Her shoes off in a break. Dipping her feet into the water. I don't know how long it was when time passed, when Betty finally realized when she looked over at the table that all of her girlfriends had been sitting at, that James was no longer there. But when she did realize, she went outside to see where she had gone. And it was then that she saw, that Betty saw August have her first kiss since the September Dorothea left. When August met James on the dock that night, she knew that a girl from her old high school would only start a conversation with her if she was desperate. And she could see the heartbreak written all over James's face. But James was soft. She had baby-faced features and dark brown hair. And August hadn't talked to another girl like that in a long time. And so, because she knew 
that it would be all right because she knew it would be better than all right. August kissed her, and of course, James kissed her back. A week later, James had graduated and was living on Tupelo for the summer, alone, and for the first time since Dorothea, August felt like heaven could be on earth. This summer was one of working hard, working all day, and loving all evening, all night, into the morning. Every day, August would work at the tourist traps down on the beach. She would sell honey to sticky little kids visiting with their rich parents. She would sell t-shirts. She would sell keychains. And then she would drive in her orange truck named Clementine. She would drive through the muddy streets where the dirt roads go from asphalt into gravel into dirt into mud and she would pick up James who was sleeping in having a summer of rest and relaxation before she was going to go off to school she would go and pick up James at 4 p.m and they would drive around the island kissing in the woods kissing in the dark, kissing in the water, kissing in their houses, anywhere that people couldn't see them. James tried to keep her relationship with August a secret for a while. Her grandparents' house was next to Betty's, after all, and the idea of Betty seeing them together felt horrible. It took two weeks for James to realize she couldn't be hurt by high school gossip any longer. And as she sunk into the bliss of having her first girlfriend, it wasn't long before James lost herself in sight of any rules that she may have once had. Betty was busy touring schools that summer. And even though James had no idea that Betty had seen her kissing August, James was still heartbroken after Betty's betrayal her assumed betrayal of dancing with that boy, and they'd been avoiding each other. Anyway, it wasn't until summer was over and James was at college. It wasn't until September, away from Tupelo and the shame, that heart pang of Betty's rejection, that she realized her heart had been broken and August couldn't be the one to fix it. When Betty saw James and August kissing at the dance, she suddenly knew why August had always scared her. And it was because August had let herself want what Betty couldn't bear to. She and James had kissed just once the summer before this. They were drunk in the back of her car. They never brought it up after, even though each one thought about it every single day. For the last six months, Betty has spent every day since the dance trying to forget how seeing James and August kiss made her feel, how James made her feel. 
She switches homerooms to avoid hearing salacious updates from Inez, somehow keyed in to everything James is doing. Even though James is long gone from Tupelo in high school. Betty gets into Spellman, early decision. She's ready to move far away from Tupelo and James and August. It's winter break. August hasn't seen James since September when James came back to the island for the weekend expecting things to be the same. She hadn't missed James since October. Well, at least not much. Not like she had missed Dorothea. The thing about expecting things to have been the same as they were in the summer, August did know that that wasn't going to be the case. She did know deep down that the night that they kissed, James had had heartbreak written all over her face. And even through their summer of bliss, it still always was in the back of her mind. August knew that James was not hers, at least not permanently. And it wasn't just because she knew that James was in love with a girl two years younger than August, a girl that August had only ever seen on the ferry, never really thought about this girl, Betty. That's not the only reason that August knew that James wasn't hers to lose, but it was because August knew that the only person that really truly belonged to her was Dorothea. August hadn't seen Dorothea since she was 16, and she is 19 now, this winter break. She is selling honey at the Christmas market, at the Methodist church, when all of a sudden, just like an archangel, Dorothea reappears in front of her. She is all red lips, rosy cheeks, blonde hair, the same as she has always been. Dorothea can't talk now. She's bashful. She's not making eye contact. She knows that she has a lot of things to make up. She knows that she really hasn't been she wasn't good to August the way that Dorothea so desperately wanted to be. But all she wants is to catch up. All Dorothea can think about is, does she still have honey? Does she still have Clementine? Does she still drive around these muddy roads? Can they ride around together? Can they catch up? Dorothea feels like she's begging when she says she's staying at her parents' house just for the winter, just for Christmas, but she's desperate to connect. On the other side of the island, James is also in Tupelo for winter break. Her family's gathering at her grandparents' house on Tupelo. James hasn't stopped loving Betty, and it takes everything in her to not show up unannounced and profess her love for her every single day. James fantasizes of driving down from Atlanta, where she's in college now, waiting outside of the high school for Betty to walk out, waiting at the ferry for Betty to get on the boat or off the boat. James fantasizes of taking Betty's hands in hers, of feeling the soft skin of her hands, of never, ever letting them go. Some days... 
James knows that Betty feels the same. Some days she remembers that kiss, that one kiss they shared one drunken evening in the back of Betty's car. And she knows that even though they never spoke of it, she knows that she wouldn't be able to feel the way that she feels if Betty didn't feel the same. Other days, all she can hear is premonitions of cruel laughter, cruel laughter from Inez, Betty, and all of her wicked friends, all of her stupid friends ringing in her ears. When she's at her grandparents' house for winter break, it's not hard to find out from her next-door neighbors that Betty's hosting a New Year's Eve party and all of James' old high school friends will be there. Betty's mother, completely oblivious to their falling out, completely oblivious to the cruel, terrible rumors that James was a dyke, James was a dirty lesbian running around the island with August. Betty's mother has no idea of the schoolgirl gossip and says, you should come. You should come and catch up. Come to the party. James spends the entire week between Christmas and New Year's rehearsing what she's going to say. So that is what we know from Taylor's songs. That is where the stories end, according to Taylor's music. And really where we go from here, this is the part that I don't know as much. Because the reality is, is that things are complex and complicated and people are unpredictable and things can change and heartbreak is ever morphing, ever changing. So me being who I am, I want a happily ever after. I hear the stories of Dorothea and August and James and Betty, and all I want is for them to find their way back to each other, to be together forever. I really see that for Dorothea and August. I know their love. Their love is one that I can recognize. I think that after graduating from acting school in New York City, I think that Dorothea moves to LA. Now that she's an adult, now that she's not under the rule of her parents, she's able to text August whenever she wants. She's able to check in with her. She's able to get updates from her. They're able to talk all night on the phone and then all night on FaceTime. They're able to be together even though they're apart. Eventually, Dorothea realizes that she likes the thrill of stage acting a lot more than the tediousness of screen acting, of having to depend on her beauty as opposed to her talent. And she moves back to Atlanta to work in the theaters there. This whole time, August waits for her and eventually Tupelo becomes the road taken. Now James, James and Betty are both young, even when they're the same age as August and Dorothea are, even when they go in their 20s. There's something about James that is young. And even though Betty is so brilliant, one of the smartest people that anyone has ever met, she has a lot that she needs to figure out. 
When James crashes Betty's New Year's Eve party that winter, Inez tells her to go fuck herself. Though Betty doesn't say anything, Betty, being still young, is grateful to Inez, to her very complicated friend, for telling off James, this person who, though Inez doesn't know, did break her heart. Betty's grateful to have distance from this unwieldy pain that she does not know how to deal with. In the next few years, at Spellman, Betty discovers herself and who she can be outside of Tupelo, who she can be outside of that group of friends. It's only then, after years later of being apart, that they find their way back to each other. Passed down like folk songs, our love lasts so long. The end. That is Tupelo. I just really thank you all for being so wonderful. Oh, Madison saying this was the most peaceful way to start my day. Casey saying thank you for helping us get lost in that world. I just really appreciate like, yeah, I know maybe it should have been at nighttime because it was like a bedtime story. I really appreciate everyone's really sweet words. I'm really glad that you liked it and that you can like see it the way that that I can see it. And Ashley saying, I love your ASMR voice. Katie, thank you. Bye.